The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. If, if you think it's a little weird that I'm the student pastor, if you don't know me, my name is Blake, I'm the student pastor. If you think it's weird that I'm preaching on a day of such big news, <laughs> it is. Okay, but that's, uh, J-Mo is here, uh, but he was sick earlier in the week and he cannot talk. Uh, and so, think, oh. <laughs> I thought that might happen, but... <laughs> And so, but we, we're, we're going to be continuing in 1 John, so if you want to go ahead and turn, we're going to actually be skipping a little bit closer to the end of 1 John chapter 5, if you want to go ahead and turn there. We'll start in verse 1 here in a second. Right now in the sports world, uh, we are in my favorite time of the year, all right? Uh, the World Series is going on. I don't, I, I know we don't care about it because the Braves aren't in it, but the World Series is going on, college football is going on, NFL is going on, the NBA season just started. Uh, There is no shortage of things for me to not be able to watch on ESPN, but I can at least follow stuff on my phone, okay? I can at least, uh, there's just so much to keep up with. And if you've been keeping up with this World Series at all, uh, the two teams in it are the Astros and the Nationals. And and if you would have followed them throughout the season, they, they, they talked about the, the big three of their pitching rotation. And, and if you follow sports at all, you probably hear this phrase, the big three, quite often when people talk about teams. They're always talking about the, the big three of a team. And so, so the Nationals have their big three pitching rotation of, of Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. And, and the Astros have their big three pitching rotation of Verlander, Grinky. And Cole, thank you. Cole, I forgot that. Cole, all right. And, and, and they rode these three pitchers all the way to the World Series. Uh, if, if you're a football fan, so before the, before the Falcon season started, uh, they, they talked about uh, the Falcons have their big three of Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Freeman's healthy. It's going to be a great season because we got those three healthy. If you're a basketball fan, they talk about it a lot in basketball. You can go all the way back to when they talked about uh, Jordan, Pippen, and Rodman. Or if, if you're more of a current day fan, you had LeBron in Miami with Wade and Bosch, and then LeBron in Cleveland with, with Kyrie and Kevin Love, or if the Spurs dynasty of, of Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili. There's just this trend in sports where, where if you've got this big three, then you're in contention to win a championship. And when we look at kind of some of the overall themes of 1 John, uh, and especially here where we're going to be in chapter 5, uh, we see kind of what... I like to call kind of the big three of the Christian walk or the Christian life. Um, that, that these three themes come together in these, in these short five verses that are kind of a summary of all we're going to see in chapters two through four, where, where if we are to, to really get a hold of, of these three pillars, um, it, it could really transform and change uh, our relationship with Christ. That, that, that these three things uh, help us to walk deeper in our relationship with God. So that's, that's what we're going to be looking at today from 1 John chapter 5. Now, before I start reading in verse 1, if, if you're like me and you read from a CSB Bible, 
Uh, I don't know how many of you are, but if you're like me and you read from a CSB Bible, you'll see that verse 5 is in a different subheading. Uh, and we're going to ignore that, okay? I'm not sure why the CSB did that. It's not, that's not inspired. The verses are still the same. The editors are the ones who put in those, those subheadings. But every other major translation has verse 5 in as kind of a concluding part of that section. And so that's how we're going to be reading it today, okay? So I'm going to start reading in verse 1. First John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so the first of the big three is faith. Uh, and, and we can see this pretty clearly uh, in verse 1 and then also in verses 4 through 5, where it says that we need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And then in verse 4, it says that uh, faith is how we have conquered the world. And then in verse 5, it says that we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, there are, there's very few times, I think, where, where English can kind of get in the way of what we under, how we understand the Bible. And I think this is one of those that, that bothers me, all right? Because we say the word believe, and we see the word faith, and we think they're a little bit different uh, but it's the, it's the same root. It's the same word. That, that believe, if, if we were being very literal, uh, we need to be faithing that Jesus is the Messiah. We need to be faithing that Jesus is the Son of God. And the reason I think it matters is because uh, our faith has to be an action. That, that there, there, there is a verb and there is oomph behind our faith. Uh, that, that it's not just what we believe in our mind, but then it, it makes an impact and then how we then live our life and it makes an impact in the actions that we do. And we're actually going to see that a little bit more clearly as we get to the second and third pillars, as we see what it looks like for that faith to be in action. Uh, but, but before we get that, let, let's, let's stick with this faith for a few moments. Now, I, I love how this, this little short passage, it, it kind of bookends faith at the beginning and then faith at the end. That, that John kind of sets it up right here, verse 1, believe Jesus is the Messiah, and then it's kind of ending in this passage, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Because I think it's, it's a beautiful picture of, of our Christian life and our Christian walk. That, right, we, we start with faith in Jesus, and we end with faith in Jesus, and everything in the middle uh, is done by and through faith in Jesus. And that, that, that we can't separate ourselves from that, because when we separate ourselves from that, that's when uh, we tend to get in trouble, and we tend to kind of go off in the weeds a little bit. But, but we start by faith, we continue by faith, and uh, one day we will end in faith. But John gives us two very specific titles of Jesus 
that, that we need to believe in, that we need to have faith in in this passage. So that we need to believe that he is the Christ or the Messiah, that, that Jesus was the promised one who had come to establish the kingdom of God, that Jesus fulfilled every prophecy, that Jesus was the son of David, and that Jesus established the kingdom of God on earth. Now, it looked different than kind of what they expected for it to look like, but Jesus came and he established the kingdom of God on earth. He was the anointed one. He was the promised one. He was the savior of the world. And then also that Jesus is not just the Messiah, but that Jesus is the son of God. That as the Son of God, Jesus was able to live a sinless life. That Jesus was able to die on the cross as the sacrifice for our sins. That he was resurrected and that he was then able to ascend to be at the right hand of the Father, as we saw last week or two weeks ago, acting as our advocate. And Jesus has the authority and power to do that because he is the Son of God. That these two titles of Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Son of God, acts as kind of this totality, this reminder of the whole gospel that, that we serve a Jesus and we believe in a Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, who has established God's kingdom, and who we put our faith in the Son of God and Savior, not just a Messiah, not just a person, but the one who is the Son of God, who is the only one who can act as our advocate on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. Whew. Yeah, yeah. He can't, he can't say amen, but he'll clap for me. I appreciate that. And along with this faith, so, so we have faith, we believe in who this Jesus is. Uh, John shows us that it comes with a few results. Uh, namely, that when we believe in Jesus, that we are then born of God. And I, I, I can imagine that John kind of had uh, the conversation that he records in his gospel in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus in mind, where, where Jesus says that you have to be born again. And so whenever we are, are born of God, whenever we are born again, whenever we place our faith in Jesus, we then become a part of God's family. That, that we are God's children, that we are adopted into his family. And then in verse 4, uh, who is it? Uh, because everyone who has been born of God, uh, the result then of being born of God is that we conquer the world. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, was, I, was, was my favorite verse in high school. Uh, and actually, I say in high school. It's still one of my favorite verses. And in fact, uh, one of the very first sermons I ever preached was on this passage because of, of how much I, I, I loved 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, that everyone who has been born of God conquers the world, or your translation might say, overcomes the world. And so, but what, what does it mean to, to conquer the world? So if, if we are born of God and we conquer the world, what does it mean to conquer the world? Uh, let's, 
Let's start with first what it doesn't mean, okay? Because what it does not mean is that uh, your life will be easy. Uh, it does not mean that you will be able to overcome every single temptation that comes your way. It does not mean that you are going to get rich. Uh, it does not mean that you are going to be on top of the world, okay? Conquering the world uh, is not what we would see on TV, movies, and media of what it means to be king of the world, just, it's not what it means. Instead, instead, when, when John says that, that we are, we conquer the world, it is, it is a spiritual victory. John, John uses this, this word a lot, and he actually uses it a lot in Revelation as well, and it always refers to the spiritual victory over sin and death. That, that when we have been born of God, when we place our faith in Jesus and we are then born of God, then we then have a spiritual victory over sin and death. But ultimately, that victory belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the one who made a way for us to have that victory. Jesus is the one who has that victory. But because we are born of God, because we are now co-heirs with Christ, we get to share in the victory that Jesus has. That my conquering the world has nothing to do with anything I have done, but everything to do with resting in the work that Jesus has already done. Amen. Amen. And when we, when we grasp this, when we see this, it, it changes our perspective on how we view our circumstances. Because when, when life is going great, uh, when we're on top of the world, right, you, you just... You just landed a new client that, that doubles your commission. You, you, you own a business. You, you just uh, brought in a new customer that was double the size of your already largest customer. You, things are going great in your house. Uh, your, your children love each other right now. Uh, you just had a grandchild. You're, 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 you're on top of, you're, you are on top of the world right now. But when you are on top of the world, guess what? You're not conquering the world any more than you were just a month ago when you were down in the valley. Because I don't, I don't get thrown up onto the mountains because my conquering isn't related to that. I already conquered the world because I'm resting in what Jesus has done. And then... When life is hard, when, when we seem to be taking hits from the enemy on a daily basis, uh, when, when you are, are being mocked at work because of stances you take based off of what Scripture teaches, because you believe it, but then also because you act on it, and, and, and you've lost friends, that, that you've had family members now who have either left or you have family members who, you have, you have uh, recent death, that there, there's maybe been divorce, that, that when life is hard and it hurts and there's suffering, we are still conquerors. That, that ultimately Jesus still has the victory and we are still sharing in that victory. And so I've I found in my life at least uh, when, when I rest in what Jesus has already done, I find myself much more stable and at peace because it, it's not based off of me. It, it's, it's based off of what Jesus has done.
And so when we believe rightly about God, right, so, so we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, which then helps us to understand who we are better, that, that we are born of God, that we are his children. Uh, I've found that when we believe rightly about God and believe rightly about ourselves, it then helps us to, to act rightly. <laughs> that that it, it, it at least helps me. This, maybe it's just me, but when, when I believe rightly about things, it then helps my actions to then follow what I believe. And so as, as we look at these, these next two, two pillars of the big three, uh, what, what we're going to see is that they are completely dependent upon that we had faith in Jesus, know that our identity is in Jesus, and then as we live that out. Let's, let's go back to the beginning, okay? Back, back to chapter 5, back to verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children when we obey, when we love God. All right, so verse 1 is set up as kind of two parallel statements, uh, if, if you see it. So right, it says, it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And then everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. That, that, and he does this to, to unite these two principles. That, that your faith, that your faith in Jesus is very closely, intricately tied to the love that you have for God and the love that you then have for God's children. And, and he uses this familial language to help us understand. Uh, we like, uh, Jamie and I like to watch this uh, sitcom on ABC called The Goldbergs. I don't know if you've ever seen The Goldbergs. Uh, it, it fits into every single family sitcom stereotype that you can imagine, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a stupid show, but it's funny and we laugh at it, all right? But in, in the show, it fits the stereotypes of you got the older brother and the older sister who mercilessly pick on their nerdy little brother. Okay, right, right? They pick on him, they punch him, they kick him, uh, they tell him he's a nerd, like all, all this stuff. They make fun of everything he ever wants to do. Uh, but as soon as somebody else does it, as soon as they go to school and somebody else picks on their nerdy little brother, it's, hey, you can't do that. That's my brother. Only I can pick on him, right? They, they, they actually love their little brother. They just have no idea what it looks like to actually show love to somebody, except for when they see somebody else doing it and they have to, to step in. Uh, but but so, so John is kind of picking on this familial language to help us understand that, hey, when, when you love God, you're going to love his children. Just like when you love your parents, you love your siblings, when you love your siblings, and so if you love your siblings, then guess what? We are a part of a larger extended spiritual family, and you are then supposed to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look, look, look at verse 2, where it says, uh, This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God. When I first read this, I always think, this is backwards. <laughs> it, it should say, this is how we know we love God when we love God's children. Like that's, and my, if I was writing the letter of John, that's how I would have written it. Uh, that, that, that when we know we love, when we love God, we're going to love God's children. But 
John writes, when we love God's children, that's how we know we love God. And I, it's, it's flipped in my mind. Maybe I'm just weird. I don't know. I know I'm weird, but maybe about this. But it just, it makes the principles, these, it's just so more closely connected in my mind that, that we can't say we love God and then not love God's children. We can't not love God's children and also love God. If, if we say we love God, but we are not loving our family, then I think John would say, you better, you better check to see if you're actually loving God. Because when you love God, you're going to love your brothers and sisters. You can't have one without the other. Now, now loving your brothers and sisters in Christ is pretty easy when you get to choose which ones you want to love. <laughs> now, I've, I've got this group right here. This is who I always talk to. This is who I'm always going to see. As long as I only see them, then I will never have any problem showing love. I'll just kind of ignore everybody else, right? Because let, let, let's be honest. There's some people who are our brothers and sisters in Christ who can be hard to love sometimes. And if you don't know someone like that, it might be you. I don't <laughs> But there's just certain people, and it's different for everybody. There's, but there's certain people who, who they, just, they just get on your nerves. You, you've got a neighbor who, they, they go to the church down the street. You know, they're, they're our family, but their son plays his music all night. And he's 28 and still lives there. Ah, why is he still there? There's, there's certain people, I, I, I say this, um, because it's true. There's some people who when you just like see their face, you're just like, why? I don't want to see you right now. Like you haven't done anything to me recently. <laughs> like I, I, it's, it's just like there's just some people who you see and it's like, I, I can't do this today. <laughs> and and I, used to, I, I used to find myself thinking, okay, well, if I'm just not rude, if I'm just not mean, if I can just kind of ignore them, then that's the same, that's good enough. If I'm not actively being mean, then that's good enough to fulfill the qualification of love. Somebody else will do the, the actual action of, of showing love to them. I find myself thinking that, but I, I can't find that in the Bible. That that, that, that ignoring and just saying, oh, somebody else will take care of that, uh, that's, that is in no way showing love to my brother and sister. That, that showing love takes time, takes energy, takes patience, takes sacrifice, takes prayer, takes work, takes action. And here... As we go to the next one, we're, we're going to see that, that this love is, is and, and loving God, is loving God, is, is so tightly tied to, to our third of the big three, which is obedience. 
That in fact, these are so closely tied together that throughout here and throughout 1 John, uh, John can't even describe these three things without using the other words in order to give definitions of them. Finish, finish verse 2 with me. This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden. This is how we know we love God and his children. We obey his commands. Now, I, when, when we, I think when we boil it down, we, we really find there's, there's three motivations for, for why we obey. Uh, the, the first two are extrinsic motivations that are, that are tied together. Fear and rewards. Right? That, that you obey a boss because he can fire you and also he helps pay you. You, you obeyed your parents growing up because they might ground you or spank you. Or maybe you wanted an allowance from them. You, you obey a teacher because they can give you detention, but also they control your grade, right? There's this fear and reward system that kind of pushes and motivates if I'm going to obey or not. It's an extrinsic motivation. But there's, there's another motivation, an, an intrinsic motivation for, for why we obey, which is love. I think mean, uh, a lot of you, uh, you have maybe have seen this play out with, with your kids uh, who have grown. Or, and I remember uh, me, as, as it happened to me with my parents, that there was all of a sudden a realization, like when my mom said, hey, I, help me, help me clean up after dinner. And all of a sudden I realized I don't live here anymore. I pay all my own bills. I'm married. Like, if I say no and just leave, I'm not going to get grounded, right? They're like, they're, they're, there's, there's no fear reward system there anymore. But I helped my mom clean up after dinner. Like, I, like I still obeyed what my mom asked because I love my parents, and, and some, some of you have, have bosses who, who you obey what they ask you to do, not because of any fear or rewards, but because you genuinely love what you do and who you work for. And, and you want what is best. Hopefully some of you are that boss, that, that, that people are, are obeying you because they, they love you, because they know that you want what is best for them. And th- this, this is what Jesus says in First John chapter... This is what John says in 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. God is not lording punishment over us in order to get us to obey. That, that God is a God who motivates out of love. And how, how do we know this? We, we look at Jesus. God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. That, that we who were separated from God, God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we could have a relationship with God. That's, that's, that's not a God who motivates out of fear. That, that's a God who motivates out of love. And so then my, my obedience to God is not because of a fear of what might happen if I don't or the reward of what I might get if I do, but because I love God and that's what I want to do. And I, and I hope and pray that all of us in this room can say the same thing, that it, that it is not God motivating us out of fear to obey, 
but it is because of, of a love for him because he first loved us. And his commands are not a burden. Now, sometimes if, if you have a, a kid's Bible and you read a Bible to a kid, I've, I've read this verse in there. I told you I really like this passage. I've, I read this verse in there, and it says, his, his commands are not hard. And I said, I'm never reading that to my child because guess, it, it's, it's hard sometimes. <laughs> it's hard sometimes to deny yourself and pick up your cross daily. It's, it's hard sometimes to turn the other cheek. It's, it's hard sometimes to give sacrificially. It, it's hard, but it's not a burden. It's, it's not something that weighs you down. It's not something that Jesus places on your back to where you cannot move. Jesus says the opposite. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because when his commands are obeyed out of love, it, it's joyous. It is, it is a joy to be obedient to what God has called us to do. If to obey the Great Commission, to, to be about making disciples who make disciples, to, to go across the street to talk to your neighbor. It's, it's, it's joyous to, to go where God has called you to do. It, it's, it's joyous to be, to be a father and, and, and to be about discipling your kids. Uh, it's, it's joyous to turn the other cheek. There, there's, there is a joy that comes from obeying out of love and out of relationship. But we can't expect to be obedient in those big things, right? If, if we're not obedient in joy and love in those, in those small things as well, those, those hundreds of decisions that we make every single day of, of do, I, do I obey and give glory to God in this little thing or does, does that just not matter? If you're unsure, if you're unsure of, of where your obedience should start, um, let's, I let's start with this very important command that John describes earlier. All right, so John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. Now, this is his command. Obey this. John, John says, obey this. This is the command. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has commanded us. I told you, we can't, we can't separate these things. We, we cannot separate these things. That, that he's, uh, obedience is loving God. Obedience is, is believing in who Jesus is. Loving God is obedience. Obedience is loving God. O obedience is, is believing in what, what God has taught us through his word. That, that these three are so, so tightly connected that, that we cannot separate them. In, in Native American agriculture, uh, it, I don't know, it was, there, there used to be quite a bit of Native Americans in Georgia. They all, they, a lot of them moved to Arkansas, so we, we have a lot of that. Um, they, they grew their produce in a, a triad, which, which they called the three sisters. It was, it was corn, beans, and squash. And what they discovered was that if, if they grew these three crops together, then the yield it produced was exponentially greater than if they just had a field of corn and then a field of beans and then a field of squash. That, that the, the three seemed to work together where 
the, the leaves and, and the roots gave off nutrients that the other one needed. The corn acted as a pole for the beans to grow up, and it just worked. That, that when the three were together, the yield was so much greater than trying to separate and do it on its own. And, and as we close, I think this is the same way that, that we need to think about, about faith, love, and obedience. That, that they must be interwoven together. And if you are missing one, then you're missing it. That, that if, if you are missing love then Paul says that you are just a clanging symbol. If, if you're missing obedience, then James says that faith is death. If, if, you're, if you're just stuck on obedience, then, then you're in legalism. If, if you don't have faith, then, then all of it is, is useless. It's, I mean, there's, there's no point if not for Jesus. But, but, when, when, these, when these three work together, and, and in our lives where, where we see the, these, these big three of faith, love, and obedience, we'll begin to see our relationship with Christ, our relationship with God through Christ, begin to grow in ways that, that we haven't seen before. Because guess what? When you love God, you're in his word. And when you love your family and you're obeying what God has said, you're about making disciples. And, and when, when you are, are loving and obeying and you're in the word, and, and that means your, your, your faith is going to grow as you learn more about Christ, and, and you'll just begin to, to see more and more and more of who God has called us to be as, as, as we grow closer in our walk with him. And so as, as we're about to, to sing our, our closing song, um, I, I, I'd ask for you to, to spend some time in, in prayer. Asking that, that God would begin to, to show you, to reveal to you, where, where of those big three have, has it began to unravel a little bit? I, I'm beginning to put my faith in myself rather than in God. Faith in what I can do rather than what Jesus has already done. Or perhaps you're in here and you're, and you're saying, I've, I've never once put my faith in Jesus anyway. I don't even know what that means. I'd, I'd love to share with you what, what that does mean here in a second. Or, or maybe <laughs> loving's hard for you. I, I, I'd, rather just, I'd rather just push everybody away. I've got my, my two or three people that I can love, and I'm good with that, so let's just stick with that. Um, I don't need any more brothers and sisters to show love to. Or perhaps God's been, been calling you to something. That I don't know what it is, but, but you, you know what it is. It's outside of what you had planned for your life. It's outside of what you thought you were going to do. It takes up a little bit more time than what you want to give. But God's calling you to something and, and he's saying, you know you're not obeying. And I know you love me, but, but when you love me, you obey what um, I'm asking. Give that to him. Tell him this morning, God, I love you. I believe who you are and I'm ready to follow what you've asked me to do.
Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.